0: On a morning like this morning, as you've come and battled the rain, whether you've walked from home and battled it the whole way here, or whether you just out of your car, simply getting into this building felt like it was uh, horrendous, I think if we all think forward to a month and a half time, hopefully we see a brighter future. Hopefully winter will be giving away to spring, and if you head out into the countryside around springtime, middle of March, the end of March, you'll know there's life you know there's life in the country because along the side of the road you'll see daffodils blooming and you'll see lambs skipping in the field. It all looks very (coughs) idyllic. It just looks like the picture-perfect moment of what spring should be like. And over the years, our thinking of spring and how we view sheep and lambs has actually clouded what Jesus meant when he spoke in this passage in John 10. Being a shepherd is not an easy life today. One of my uncles is a sheep farmer, and as children we would have spent summers up on the farm. It's a busy life. It's a dirty life. It's a life that around December you wait for the lambing season to come, and lambs can come at any time. Whether that be three o'clock in the morning, midday or whenever, you have to be ready to go out and to care for your lambs. And sometimes those lambs that just don't do so well, well, they take a little bit of extra care. They need to be nursed. They need to ha- be bottle fed. And that can be at every three hours. There is no romantic idea of what it meant to be a shepherd today. And there was no romantic idea of what it meant to be a shepherd 2,000 years ago. Whenever we see images of Jesus with a lamb in his arms, stroking it, that's not the image that Jesus was trying to give whenever he spoke in this passage about what it means to care for sheep. So this morning we're looking at the full of John chapter 10. Dan read the first half of it for us, and we'll also look at the second half briefly as well. Jesus is still in Jerusalem, Since chapter 7, we've been at the Feast of Tabernacles, that festival of celebration of God's deliverance and God's provision. And we believe that Jesus is still in and around Jerusalem, just as the the festival is tailing off. The official festivities have ended, but there's still a little bit going on around it. Jesus is still there throughout chapter 9 and chapter 10. He follows on where he left off, the healing of the man born blind. And so Jesus starts in straight to the the gathered people, and he wants to teach them a truth. He wants them to finally get what this is all about. And so he gives this story of what it means, what his whole life means, what it means for him to be in the world, to be, as it were, a shepherd with his sheep. This isn't just an agricultural image that Jesus was using for where he happened to be. Whenever we read the word shepherd throughout all of Scripture, it has deep and rich meaning that God implanted in the very blood of his people. What was the first sacrifice? Abraham. Abraham. Isaac was taken off the altar, and a ram was brought and slaughtered in his place. When the prophet spoke of the Messiah who would come, how was he described? As the shepherd. This is not some illustration that just happened to fit with this moment. Jesus is penetrating to the heart of the Jewish belief that the good shepherd would come to care for the flock of God. The story in verses 1 to 5 is a bit tricky in itself. Uh, If you were to read it, uh, if you read the second half um, of John chapter 10, Jesus actually asks, as he's asked before, why do you not understand? Or the people reply, we do not understand what you're saying. If you've read John's gospel, that's a question that you've probably had in your own head as well, because it is hard to figure out what Jesus is saying. And in these first five verses, Jesus is explaining the story about a shepherd and a sheep. He says, there are those who want to come and steal the sheep. They want to come and take them away to kill them. Then there's also the watchmen, those who are the hard help to look after the sheep. Well, the first sign of trouble comes there. They run, they flee. Then Jesus says, there is the true shepherd, the one who comes and the one who is willing to give his life for his sheep. And in the second, or or this Uh, after this, from verses 6 through to about uh, 21, Jesus explains this. He breaks it up and says, here's what each of these groups of people mean. So let's start, first of all, with John chapter 10, verses 7 to 10. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. In biblical Palestine, animals were currency. There was some monetary coinage, but animals were currency. Your wealth was measured by your flocks and your herds. They were a priceless and precious commodity. We have our money in banks. I can't exactly see you having a deposit slip for 10 sheep going into something like we would recognize as a bank. But in a way, they did have something like that. Part of the village would have been put aside as a communal gathering place for the flocks and the herds. There would be walls built around it and pens on the inside, and there would be a watchman, the hard hand. He would come and he would register your animals in. His job was only to be there, to let them in and to see that they were okay, but it was the shepherd's job or the herder's job to actually care for the sheep. Jesus says... Whenever you think about sheep, think about where you put them for safety and security. You put them in the pen. There's only one way in, and there's only one way out. And Jesus says, I am that gate. There is only one way in. There are many who will try to jump over the wall, and Jesus calls them thieves and robbers. He says they'll try and jump over the wall, but they're, they're only there to steal To kill and destroy. They come in the shadows, they jump over, they get what they can, and they jump out again. They will never use the gate, because then they will be caught. Whenever you read the commentaries about, well, who are these thieves and robbers, we automatically think, well, it must be the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones who were trying to take people away from God. That may be true, But there were other people around who were claiming to be exactly who Jesus was. The history books tell us that there were many messiahs popping up around the time of Jesus, saying, I'm the only way to the kingdom of God. No, 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 it's me. Follow me. I'm the true messiah. Jesus is saying there are those who will want to come and deceive, purposefully deceive for their own glory and for their own benefit. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I'm different. I'm the contrast of that because I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says there's only one way in, but that one way in is a way to life It's a way to protection. It's a way to security. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. In verses 11 to 13, he gives us the first of two sayings that I am the good shepherd. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus moves on in the contrast and says, well, actually, the shepherd is the one who is key here yes, I am the gate, there's only one way in, but it's the shepherd who looks after the flock, the shepherd who cares. It's the shepherd who is the only one who will lay down his life, do whatever he can to protect his flock, to protect his sheep. Jesus says, you're familiar with the watchman. Well, he's just a hard help. He'll never care for the flock. He'll never think about what's needed for the best of the animals. His job is to get his money in his hand and to make sure that nothing happens. The problem is if a wolf comes, the watchman's going to run. It still happens today. Whenever I lived in Malawi, we had a night watchman every night. He slept for most of the night, even though he was supposed to be awake. But the first sign of trouble He wasn't going to protect me even though that's what he was paid to do. He was going to run to protect himself. The watchman has self-interests. The watchman is the one who wants everything to be nice and cozy to get his money but the first sign of trouble he flees and he goes. Jesus says the watchman is not the shepherd. Do not be deceived by these people who will draw you in. Who will draw you in and say this is our wee group. This is how we get to God. People who will draw folks into to cults and and things like that of Jesus' time and our time who will say, you know, those big churches, they've got it wrong. They're not reading the Bible right. Come. Come. And we'll show you. The problem is those watchmen, the first sign of trouble, disappear just as Jesus says. And what do they do? They destroy the flock. The flock have no one to keep them in. They're allowed to go free and wander, and they have no one to care for them. Jesus says there can only be one good shepherd, and that shepherd lays down his life for his flock. The second good shepherd, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, verses 14 to 18. Of these three sayings that Jesus has given us, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, and now again I am the good shepherd, this is the most revealing of what Jesus is all about. In this, Jesus is saying that his relationship with the sheep is just like his relationship with his father. He says there's an intimacy here. My sheep know me. I am their shepherd just like I am the son to my father and he is the father to me. Jesus said there's intimacy. We know what's going on. Jesus says, I know the plans of my father, and I will follow them just like a sheep follows a shepherd. Ultimately, for Jesus, it was going to be death on a cross. It was going to be that moment in history where the Son of God would die, would be buried and would rise again to prove that death was conquered and would no longer have its grip. That's why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Here is Jesus saying, I'm going to die. I have the authority to give my life, but I also have the authority to lift it up again. Jesus, in the middle of John's gospel, halfway through his time on earth, his his ministry on earth, sorry, he is saying, I'm going to die, but there's going to be hope because I have the the authority to take my life up again. Jesus is giving them the full salvation picture. He's saying, this is what it's going to be. This is the joy of heaven come to earth. Jesus finishes this section. And as we've seen before in John's gospel, the people are torn in two. They don't know what to make of Jesus. There's accusations that he's a madman. He's raving mad or he's demon-possessed. So half the crowd go down that route where we've seen them go before. But then there are those who start to question these accusations and say, well, if he truly is a madman or if he truly is demon-possessed, how can he do these great things and say these truths? So once again, the crowd are divided. In this first section of chapter 10, Jesus has shown himself. He's shown himself to be truth, that he is the only way He is the gate and He is the good shepherd. Jesus is talking about absolute truth. He's saying there is only one way that will lead to God, and that is ultimately through Him. There is only one way to get to those heavenly realms, and that is through Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How do you think you are going to get to heaven? How do you think you're going to get there? Heaven is the ultimate goal of our salvation. Heaven is the place where God dwells and envelops, it's the place where He will bring the nations to Himself to worship in honesty and in truth. But how are you going to get there? Jesus says there is only one way, and that is the way of truth that is through him. He uses the shepherd and the sheep image because this is where the heart of the Jewish people are, in this image of the shepherd who will come to to take them and to, to guard them. But it's clear that as a shepherd tries to look after sheep, they naturally will wonder unless they're kept very tight, close to the shepherd. And that's our natural elk. We want to go our own way. We think we know better than God. I think I know better than God. And so I'll do things my way because it pleases me rather than it being about truth. I've spent many a summer afternoon and evening looking for sheep. You count them in and there's one or two missing and so everyone is dispatched out into the fields to see where this one sheep is. I have to say, all too often, the sheep was found in difficulty, it was found hurt, and it was found in a way that it could never have made its way back home. The shepherd was needed to look after the sheep When a sheep goes its own way, it gets lost and it ends up in trouble. Jesus uses this image to show the people then as he shows us now, there is only one way to the kingdom of God. It's not by our natural ilk of going our own way, but rather coming to him, allowing him to be a shepherd to us. Will we be willing Are we willing to be led by this shepherd? Are we willing to have Jesus lead us through this life? And I jotted down how we might question this in ourselves on our everyday level. Are you willing to be led into the paths that are good by the one who cares for you and who truly loves you? Will you give him a go in leading you Leading you through whatever phase of life you're currently in. Leading you through the hassles and pressures of work. Leading you through conflict at home or wherever it may be found. Leading you through the parenting of your children. Leading you through loneliness. Leading you through grief. Leading you through sin that you want to be away from leading you through the boredom of an adventureless life and into a life that is given by Christ and is life to the full. Are you willing to be led in these ways and more in your everyday life because there is a saviour, a shepherd who wants to lead you in his ways? Let's quickly... Look at the second half of this passage in verses 22 to 42. And we come again with this question that Jesus is asked Well, who are you? It's three months later. We read of a new feast or a new festival. It's the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. This was a a feast that is not traditionally in Jewish history going back into the Old Testament. This was quite a, a new feast in the time of Jesus. It was established in 164 BC. Syria had taken over the kingdom and in 167 BC the Syrian emperor wanted to make worship all the same so he brought the god Zeus into the temple in Jerusalem. Of course to the Jews this was horrific uh, and they couldn't get over this uh, and uh, Judas Maccabeus was the one who would lead the revolt get rid of the Syrians and eight days in December in 164 BC was a time when the temple was reconsecrated. Judas Maccabeus was a revolutionary. He was the one who was seen as the potential Messiah who would actually lead the people from their yoke of slavery to whoever their, their uh, overlords would have been. But of course he wasn't because Jesus is the one who is the Messiah. So this feast is all about revolt, this feast is all about kicking against uh, those who are over you. So there's a very high level of nationalism. And this wasn't a feast that was just in Jerusalem. It wasn't a pilgrimage, but this was a feast that could be had anywhere in Palestine. This is important for the simple reason the mindset of the people. They're highly nationalistic at this time in the year, and they're looking for a Messiah who will liberate them from what they perceive as their yoke with the Roman Empire. Of course, the Messiah that's promised, the good shepherd that's promised in Isaiah is one who will bring spiritual liberation. So Jesus is at this feast, and the people come and ask him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus' simple answer in verse 25 is, I have told you, but you don't get it. You choose not to believe what I say. Jesus, I've done everything to convince you, and I've done it in my Father's name, and you haven't liked it. And at this point, they want to lift stones and throw them at Jesus. And he challenged them, why are you stoning me? What do you not like? You've asked me to tell you the truth. I have told you the truth. You're going to stone me, so tell me what is it you don't like? And basically, the people show their real heart because they say, We don't mind you showing us tricks. We don't mind you putting on a show, a little bit of razzle-dazzle. Just don't upset our religious way of life. We're happy in going through the motions. Jesus has told them on a number of occasions, not just three months prior to this, but at other times that he has come to give life, and he's going to give it the full. Jesus' answer to them is to go back to the sheep image. In verses 27 to 30, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the the father Are one. Jesus says the sheep, his flock, his people, there are three unique things about them. First, they are a called group. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd, and so they follow him. Secondly, they are a gifted group. They are a group that have eternal life. This is their gift, this is their inheritance, this is what awaits them. And thirdly, they are a secured group because they are kept in the hands of God, where nothing, nothing can separate them from his love. And this is the test of the disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple is called. A disciple is gifted in that they are assured eternal life. And the disciple is secured because nothing can separate them from the love of God. We need to fully recognize these three aspects in our lives. We need to understand that it is all from God. It is God's initiation. He is the one who draws us to himself. And in fact, the final thing that Jesus does in this little uh, section in John 10 is to challenge the hypocrisy of the Jews. He says, you're challenging me about my authority as being a God, but yet you take Psalm 82, verse 6, and you get to call yourselves gods. But yet whenever I tell you that I am the Son of God, you do not accept it. For the people, they couldn't see the truth and the honesty of Jesus Christ. They were outraged. That's a word that comes up regularly in John's Gospel. Outraged, and they wanted to seize him. But he escaped, he got away, and across the Jordan where there were those waiting to believe in him. So how do we finish this? How do we wrap this up for this morning in thinking about the two parts of John's, uh, John chapter 10? It seems to me that all of chapter 10 of John's gospel is about truth. What are we willing to accept as the truth claims of Jesus Christ? John's job is to introduce us to the real Jesus. So what are the truth claims in this chapter that we're going to accept? In verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. For Jesus, there's an expectation about what his disciples will do. There's an expectation that those who claim that they love and follow Jesus Christ, something will happen. It's not a moment of conversion and then that's it. You're sorted. Jesus says, no, my sheep will follow me. There are two ways in which I believe this passage tells us we need to do this. First of all, we are to share the good news just as Jesus did Everywhere that Jesus went, he told the truth of the gospel. There was no getting away from it. Jesus didn't give it over to someone else as their sole responsibility. Jesus taught us that it is everyone's responsibility to share the truth of the gospel. In fact, he tells us that there are those outside uh, the flock at that time that he was going to reach and bring in so that it would be one flock. That, of course, being the Gentiles, the inheritance that we know. Jesus says there are many who need to know the good news of the gospel, so go and do it. The problem is, perhaps we're not always very good at it. And I don't mean in articulating a message. I'm not talking about answering the questions that come our way. I think, as I know in myself, there's a much deeper seed in my heart that really I don't want to do it. And for me, As I want you to think about this as well, it all comes with how I view heaven. If heaven is going to be the ultimate place of our salvation, the ultimate place where we are going to, there is one direction in the Christian life and it is straight to heaven. What is your view of heaven? If you want to get there, what do you think it's going to be like when you do arrive? There was a survey done about five years ago about people's perceptions of heaven. And their simple answer was, actually, look around you. That's how I think of heaven. Hard pews, big, old, stony, gothic buildings, songs that are not to my taste, long, boring sermons, not too many smiles on faces. That's how people said they viewed heaven. And if that's how we view heaven, then why would we ever want to go? The truth is, we as church, church universal, don't do a very good job in giving you a foretaste of heaven. We don't. Heaven is supposed to be a place filled with joy, with happiness, with laughter, where we are unified as the people of God. That's a small image of heaven. No hard pews, no boredom, no looking at watches and clocks to make sure that we're getting within our time slot. Heaven. What is your view of heaven? Because your view of heaven will stir in your heart a passion for the person beside you to be in heaven and the person this side of you to be in heaven and the person in front of you and behind you. This is Christ's direction in this passage. We are to share the good news because we must be excited about our destination. Because if we're not, well, then why would we ever want anyone to come with us? Are you excited about heaven? That place where we'll see those faces again. That place where we will be surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses that place where we will sing, we will never tire, and that place where we will put our eyes on our Savior. Why would you not want to be there? Why would you not want the person beside you to be there? Jesus says we are to share the good news because the good news takes us in one direction, and that is to be in his presence. The second thing Jesus says is that we are to look to him for our salvation and not to ourselves. The simple fact throughout Scripture is that we won't ever get ourselves to heaven. No amount of good, no amount of popularity, money, thinking, influence, or kindness will ever get us through the gates of heaven. Jesus makes that very clear time and time again. He says the only way is to come through the gate, and he is the gatekeeper. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But what does that mean for us here and now? How do do we keep ourselves in check? How do we make sure that we are following his way rather than going off on what we think is the best way for us to get to heaven? Believe it or not, the answer is the same to the answer to the first question. Look around you. God has given the gift of the church. He's given the person sitting to your right and to your left, to the person in front of you and the person behind you, to be his host of people here on this earth, so that together we'll go through this journey. Church is not about, uh, this community of Christ is not about revolutionaries and mavericks. We do this together. This is the ideal for God's people. We come. We are equal in the sight of God. And we worship Him. We are to look to Jesus for our salvation and not ourselves. Church is the place for God's people to come together as equals under His leading. Because He is the Good Shepherd. The shepherd is waiting. He is the one who will see you through whatever you're going through in life right now, whatever the future will hold, because in this passage we are assured that he will keep us for that most joyous of days when we will be with him in his presence in heaven. And I think that's going to be something absolutely amazing. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you give us this image. Forgive us when we miss it. Forgive us when we get it wrong. But thank you that you are gracious in your love and in your care. And so we look to you. We look to you to take us through this life so that we will know the fullness of life as you give it to us. Help us and give us the grace that we may know you more and more. In Jesus' name.